0: Welcome to Think Oral,
1: where we connect the unconnected between oral and physical health.
0: I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Levine.
1: And I'm your host, Maria Filipova.
0: Let's get at it.
1: All right, here we are, another episode of Think Oral Health. Jonathan, I'm super excited about our guest today, a very different person, personality and perspective from our conversation partners so far, and a first representation of the DSO perspective on this call. Very excited. I can't wait yes. to get into the conversation. Tell us who we're speaking with today.
0: Yeah, amazing, amazing. We are super excited to have David Tony, who is from Independence, a, a new dental service organization. And I say, the more I know about what they're doing, I'm calling them the disruptors of the disruptors. The DSO industry has disrupted the dental industry, organizing the dentists. It's a fragmented industry. David comes from a fantastic dental background from one of the large implant companies, Strauman, running their divisions. After that, he ran one of the largest implant DSOs real the whole east side of this country and then partnered up with Lane Thorold to start this independence. David, welcome to Think Oral Health. Thank you for the invite, and I'm very happy to be here. Oh man, great to have you here. So David, I think the number one question I want to ask you is about the pain points of dentistry. You've been in the industry for decades. You are a senior executive of the industry. You've had a tremendous amount of experience working with dental professionals, different dental companies. What are the pain points that independents really went after as they developed their business model? What was your thinking there?
2: Yeah, it was a very different way of thinking. I never imagined myself being a part of a DSO. We don't really actually view ourselves as a DSO. That's more of a dental partnership organization. When I was introduced to Lane Theriault, our CEO, we had many different discussions around the good and the bad that DSOs, their impact on the dental industry. And I personally have a very negative reaction to the things I see in the market around corporate driven dentistry. And it's propensity to drive unnecessary or lower quality dentistry. I just don't think it's in the best interest of the patients. There a lot of great groups out there, a lot of great DSOs out there, and we wanted to create a different model that appealed to what we call the never-DSOers. So every dentist knows a fellow dentist that joined a DSO and was one unhappy with the changes that were made. We wanted to create a platform and build a business model that created a harmonious relationship between profit and quality patient-centric patient-driven dentistry. And I think that's what we've achieved. And the way we achieve that is around what we call an extreme level of autonomy. And there are many groups out there that promise their dental partners autonomy. We go so far as to put it in writing in a contract that we can't make any changes to the practice without our dentist partner's approval. Very different. So we can't make them use different labs, go to certain CE. So it really puts the burden on us to find quality partners to partner with that are positioned to grow. So it's a very different, somewhat unique. There are a lot of dental partnership groups out there. We just take autonomy to a whole nother level.
0: So for the people out there listening, the dental service organization industry came to being to take these dental practices, which are fragmented in the old days, it was one dentist, one hygienist, one assistant, 70% overhead. The dentist was asked to wear many, many hats, very difficult to create the type of business model that is highly efficient and highly effective. And so there was a new approach. They were originally called 20, 25 years ago, dental practice management companies that evolved to dental service organizations. And as David, you're saying, is evolving again. Maria, when we think about this in healthcare and medicine versus dentistry, the medical professions that have their private dental offices where they have to hire people. They're outside the hospital systems, the plastic surgeons, the derms that have these private offices, have a similarity to these dental offices where the dentist has to be the executive, has to be a leader, has to wear all of these multiple hats. I guess the big question, David, to follow up is where do you think the early dental service organizations went wrong, where they developed this negative reputation, especially with a number of people in the industry. Where did they go
2: wrong right in the beginning as kind of these early pioneers? I'm not sure I would put the blame necessarily on them. And I want to be very careful not to speak negatively about them. I would put it really on the financial people that were putting mm-hmm. these on them to achieve the returns and the profits. That that's they right. Did. When
1: in doubt, always blame the finance people, right? <laughs> As a recovering banker, I take offense to that. Have, but I do appreciate the corporate driven dentistry. That could be a side effect of optimizing for the bottom line and efficiencies. And so I do think that's the conversation we wanna have. Quite
2: frankly, it is the easiest thing to do. And there are many dental practices that need a full service DSO to come in and run them. And in many okay. cases, making it a better practice servicing the community better. That's just not the clientele that we're looking to partner with. So I think perhaps maybe they just got carried away was the focus on cost reduction. Let's just go beat up all of our vendors and get the best price that we can. Let's optimize the schedules. And they didn't focus on the culture and the practices. They didn't really focus on the person they were partnering with. The idea is to make every practice look the same. I've heard that mantra from many different DSOs. We've got our playbook, we're going to simplify and make them the same. And we want to partner with unique practices and continue to support their vision and what makes them unique in their market.
1: Let's That's double it. quick a little bit on that, because I love where Jonathan was going with this. I, On one hand, dentists go to dental school and learn about clinical care and taking care of a patient. They don't learn about running a business. And from that perspective, it makes sense. Let the dentist or the clinical team do what they are trained to do, what they probably was the driving force for going into that profession to begin with and then optimize for all the business operational aspect of taking care of a patient to the people and the teams who are best suited to do it. Conceptually, it makes sense. Now, what I'm hearing is what we're seeing in the medical side and the dental side is when the pendulum swings one way or another to the extreme. And if you are owned by a private equity firm, a private equity firm wants to do one thing very, very well, take costs out of the system. Now, It sounds like in your case, David, you've got that happy medium where you're striking a balance between patient-driven dentistry and an operating model that is efficient, yet not at the expense of the patient. Could you just describe what patient-driven dentistry means in your case? And specifically, are you talking about a standard of care doing things that maybe other dentists would look as a cost, like preventative care procedures or investing in technology and making the experience of the patient more, dare I say, joyful. So what is that patient-driven dentistry? What's the meaning of it when it comes to your organization?
2: Well, it starts with the dentist partner and their mindset of always doing what is right by the patient. For example, they may be looking at a tooth that has a lot of infection and endo might be an option, even though they know that it's probably going to fail. In a patient-centric model, you explain clearly to the patient, but you say, you know what, I would like you to go see an endodontist to get their opinion. That's what they do. They may have something else to tell you. Or doing a filling when that will suffice, as opposed to doing a crown. The way I approached dentists in the past is to explain to them, if you ever go to an auto mechanic, And the mechanic tells you, no, you don't really need to do this, this, and this. I think we should just make these minor adjustments and let's see how it goes. You're always gonna see that mechanic. You're always going to go back to that person because the trust. trusting, we're skeptical. And so I think patient-driven or centric dentistry is about truly always having the patient's best interest in mind and not trying to meet crown production because some regional manager from a DSO has come in and said, hey, your crown production is off 15%. What are you going to do about it this month? That's what I mean by corporate-driven dentistry, perhaps not being patient-centric. It puts the emphasis on profit.
1: And the implication is that you could still make money while you're still being patient-driven. Tell us about the business model behind that.
2: Well, I had a professor at Harvard Business School that his mantra was make a fair profit fairly and you will end up doing very, very well in business. That's the mindset. Take the long view always with the patient. Know that you're treating them and their whole body because this is a profound impact on their health overall and their families and your community at large. So if you always keep that in mind, your reputation as a dentist will take care of itself and you're going to get referrals from your patients.
1: You mentioned our favorite topics. Jonathan is writing a book on this, on systemic health and treating the whole body. So I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this.
0: I love the conversation. The dental professionals, the medical professionals, the big common thread, I truly believe, is that we've gone into the profession because we want to help people. People coming out of great universities, we all had that wonderful opportunity and we have a lot of gratitude for it. And there's choices we make in our college years of what pathway we're going to take. When you go into healthcare, you're not going to healthcare unless you're going onto the business side of healthcare right away. You're really going in to help people. And what's happening today in dentistry, when the organized approach started hitting, there was a very big focus, and David, please comment on this, on production, on the numbers, which leads me to one of my favorite conversation, which is the capital partners that when you start, let's say a company like you started, choosing your capital partners and getting alignment on vision, on your strategy, on your value system, is so critical. Talk to us a little bit about how you think about when you first chose your private equity partners or your capital partners. And as you guys have grown, as I understand, you've grown so steeply that you've actually gone to that next level. So tell us a little bit about what has happened in the last, I think it's a couple of years and where you are today with that thinking.
2: sure. Well, we launched in a very difficult time. During the pandemic, it was a crazy time to start a business. And we had planned on launching in May of 2020. And then with the pandemic hit, we actually lost our financing or financial partner. We had to kind of start from scratch there. We were fortunate to meet a group called the Firmament Group, private equity group based out of New York that really bought into the management team and to the vision and saw the uniqueness of our platform. So we were very fortunate get you a know, partnership with them in place. Their vision was always to stay in about three years. And we grew so rapidly the first year that we started making plans to bring on a larger sponsor, which... We're in the process of finalizing right now a very well-respected large group that's going to provide a tremendous amount of capital for us to achieve our very ambitious goals. And the quality of those
0: partners, as you think about that, what did you look for besides just the capital? We know money is fungible. It comes from many sources. But those kind of decisions that you made as you had
2: a number of choices of who you partnered with, what is your standard? It was interesting because our pitch was different. There were some confused faces in the room. And these are very, very smart financial people and they all know the business models that are out there. But when you sit down with a group and you explain to them that you're only going to focus on quality dentists and you're going to put in writing that you can't make any changes to the practice without their approval, it was a lot of head scratch. Quite frankly, a lot of people just couldn't understand how that would work. So I would say our biggest challenge in a partner was finding someone who grasped that vision, that understood that It's much more like that you're going to grow a successful partner with great fundamentals in the practice than to grab a falling knife and correct things. We were fortunate that we've been able to a couple of groups that really bought into the vision and saw its unique place in the market, that it's appealing to those dentists that see the value and efficiencies that you get from joining a larger group. They just don't want to bust.
0: Maria, think
2: about this from the context of medicine and
0: hospitals and what hospitals are facing with the multitude of issues that they're dealing with because of scale and how that balancing act of quality of care and also profitability and bottom line interface with each other. And this happens in each dental practice, but now we're putting practices together under a corporate umbrella. And the challenges of just that, it's a very similar challenge in your past as an executive and Anthem, you we know. We see
1: that. Yeah, we, we I mean, please weigh in. We're seeing that live now with Franklin United Healthcare Optims Group, buying outright different practices and clinics and providers and optimizing on making them more digital and providing decision support tools. They've gone into beyond the operation model to advancing care delivery by providing some of those analytics tools, AI-driven tools. And so the model is not one-to-one. There's certain differences. When we think about where healthcare has gone in optimizing providers, I think dental is probably just a couple years behind because we're just starting to look at analytics as part of decision support tools for the dentist. Most of the focus has been on operations, finances. Let's just get this busy work out of the way so the dentist could do what they do. I'm curious to hear both of your thoughts here. Jonathan, it's no secret that in your practice, you are a friend of technology, but it's also, I would say you're not a typical dentist. Most dentists rely on the art of dentistry where it's much more driven by the dentist. And so what do you think, David, as well? Like, are you looking to expand that support for your clinics to include some more decision support tools and AI beyond operations?
2: Absolutely. It's a key focus at our partner meetings. And that's where the conversation with the insurance providers is going to start and, I guess, come closer together with the dentistry is around AI and the preventive tools that are out there. When you look at the technologies that are coming down the road, it's going to be much more focused on identifying caries and periodontal disease before it causes damage. It's much easier to treat. That's a big win for both sides, all the way around the patient and the providers. So it's just a fascinating time to be in dentistry. It really is. We're also very fortunate to be a part of this wave. And you talked about pain points earlier, Jonathan. I think the biggest pain point is how we deliver all of these new technologies to a very rapidly changing Dentistry demographic. Right. You've got thirty seven percent of the dentists are fifty five years or older, and we've got to find ways. I'm older than fifty five, and I can tell you, technology is not as easy to grasp. So how do we implement these new technologies and integrate them into the practices that benefit the patients? Is, is I think going to be key going forward. I was thinking about
0: technology before you asked the question, Maria. That's why we're doing this together, and you know, you the think technology. The
1: I say it. That's how it yeah, works, uh, and vice amazing. versa. Yeah. right.
0: But let's think about it. In in healthcare in general, it takes 17 years by the studies to adopt new technologies. And here we are in dentistry. It is a very exciting time, as David has said. And one of the great opportunities for these organized approach to dental practices, what independence is doing is the ability to figure out that integration and on the educational side and how to layer in new technology, whether it's going into the hygiene room, whether it's digital workflow. So David, as you have been at this now a couple of years with the dental practices, the integration of these technologies, can you give us an example of what has worked so far in enhancing and improving the individual partner practices and what kind of response you're getting?
2: It's very interesting. A lot of did just join our platform because they want complete autonomy. But we are very fortunate. We've got very, very collaborative partners, great clinicians, Really nice practices, and they're very open to looking at new technologies. So again, from our perspective, when we come in, we don't say, we want you to do this. And it's to be a very collaborative approach. We have to convince our partner that this is going to be good for their practice. And we may sit down and we quantify the numbers for them as well, too. So we say, doctor, have you considered doing sleep apnea I'm a very big proponent of sleep medicine and how it's really oh, a. You're
1: amongst friends here, my friend. It's <laughs> is, it's
2: sleep. Not sleep only because I am.
1: It's a big opportunity, yes.
2: It's a big opportunity to drive a connection for the medical community between cardiologists and sleep specialists, just as a starting point there. I'm a big proponent of it. But we own a lot of practices that don't know how to integrate that into their practice, especially when many times it involves medical billing, et cetera. So it's being able to sit down with them, quantify for them what the financial impact could be on the practice what impact it's going to have on their schedule and how you manage that in a busy general dentist practice. And then providing a turnkey solution that would help them with medical billing or whatever it is we need to do to make it successful. So we have to present a business case to our partners. And if they say no, we close the book and okay, maybe we'll revisit that in the future. Clearliners is another example. We may come in and say, this is the business opportunity. We've been very fortunate to have a great deal of uptake with our partners on our initiatives. And now they often come to us with IPSA. Hey, I'm not excited with working with revenue cycle management or marketing. We have many third-party partners, which is also unique as far as DSOs go. We don't charge any DSO management fees. So it's very, very different. So it's a true joint venture. So when we do something together, whether it's investing in new technology or building out more rooms for expansion or hiring a marketing company, it just goes directly on the P&L. So nice. if we're at 80, 20% ownership in the practice, we're effectively paying for 80% of the technologies that we invest in. So we spend a great deal of time looking for great partners to work with, great technologies that we believe in, because we're actually having to put out directly our money behind it as well, too. We're not capturing it in DSO management fees. So it's a very different approach. I hope that answered your question, Jonathan. Talk about
1: aligning incentives. That is a very putting your money where your mouth is and aligning incentives, brilliant. Bingo! And so, it, yeah,
0: go ahead, Maria. Those
1: are listeners out there, David. For those entrepreneurs and startups who believe that they have an innovative solution that might be connecting the dots between medical and dental teams, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and get a test if they might be a good vendor partner for you guys?
2: We have a fantastic vice president of support and performance for of, Director of Performance. As Carrie Lasher is her name, she can be reached at Carrie C A R E Y at independencedso.com. And she and her team are responsible for collaborating and we've got several pilots going on with our partners on new and different technologies to see what's working. We don't ever pretend to know best. We want our partners to try it out and for them to explain to the rest of our platform the impact out of our practice.
1: Thank you for sharing that. So let
2: me switch gears a little bit
0: for a second. David, as an industry senior executive for decades and, and now you're driving change in this new industry with independence. Where do you see this DSO industry going? Let's just do a five to 10 year casting out. I think it was a couple of years ago. It sounded like 12 to 14 percent of the industry was these dental service organizations. Now, I think we're over 20, 21 percent
2: of total revenue. Where is it going? Is it going to hit a ceiling or is it going to keep going? I think it keeps going. I was in Europe for a while and markets over there just four or five years ago. Spain, for example, already had more than 50% of the offices were a part of a corporate. So I think it will continue to drive. And again, what's driving that, those demographics I spoke to earlier, you've got just very changing demographics. Dentists are over 55% of the, over 55 years old, comprise a large part of the market. They need a transition plan. And a lot of associates that are coming out of school, many of them are women that only work part-time and raise a family, are not interested in ownership. And so... These guys need a path forward. They need a way to take the equity out of their practice. And so there's fewer buyers for them. And some of them just can't get their head around joining a DSO. I have a friend out in Arizona. I asked him what his transition strategy was and he said a pine box. That's how much he hates DSOs. So we want to create a platform where people that are very skeptical, that just don't want a boss, they want a partner that can help them grow, but also take equity off the table now and provide long-term planning for them. That's the niche that we wanna fill in this market. And fortunately, it's not a niche. There's a lot of dentists out there that fit this mold. And David, comment about the young dentist. Young dentists coming out of dental
0: school, 375 to $400,000 of debt after a number of years of dental school. How can your company have an impact also on the young dentists and the whole DSO industry in general answering that need as the dentists are retiring and maybe going from five days to four days or down to two days, the opportunity for new young associates to join these offices that are at a higher level
2: because of this organized approach from the corporate team? Great question. The DSO industry, some of the larger ones, I won't name any names, but you have a kind of a revolving door sometimes with associates coming in. They come in, they work for a year or two trying to pay off debt, and then they move on. And the patient experiences they're usually finishing treatment with someone that didn't start it. And some of these young dentists are doing it out of necessity. And I think what our platform is, provides is a pathway to work in a quality practice where they can get hands-on mentoring from a great dentist and can be exposed to the technology that's driving the industry and how to use that. And by the way, a lot of them are coming out of school and are going to be a great resource for their dentist, for digital technology and digital workflows. So it's very symbiotic, especially now we're going to see more and more augmented reality for teaching and universities. They're going to come out much, much better trained with very little business training or experience at all. And Maria, I know this perception is that dentists aren't very good business people. I can tell you our partners, we've got great business people. I know that's a broad brush to paint with, but it's yeah. true. They don't do training in dental school, but there are a lot of great dentists out there that are great in both the back office and with the patient. So those are the folks we're looking for.
1: Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And thanks for calling out that myth because we do <laughs> love calling out pricing Purposefully throwing out statements and see what gets picked up and dispersed. So appreciate that. And I can tell you, I mean, again, every single dentist that I've met in my experience so far on the innovation side, dentists are entrepreneurs. They They are. are quick learners. They go up that learning curve very quickly and figure it out. And so building a practice is very personal. And for somebody to say, I'm just going to be part of a DSO and have somebody else tell me what to do. It's a very hard thing to do.
0: Maria, right? Like what Edison says, necessity is the mother of invention. So you get thrown into it. You're either going to sink or swim from a business standpoint. The question is how well you're going to do. And we know in business, we can all comment on this. It's all about leadership and it's all about culture and building your team to be able to provide a service
2: at a high level and also to do well and to do good by people. Don't you think, David? Absolutely. And the work is one that's very uh, interesting to discuss right now because it's become so commonplace for the last four or five years for leaders to talk about culture. Everyone's read the books. They're espousing the same thing, doing the same values, exercises. It's become a great talking point. But you have to have the awareness to look beyond the words and actually look at what's going on with culture, because everyone can talk about it, but not everyone absolutely implements. And we look for practices where there's a great leadership and great culture. And you can see that through turnover. You can see that through Google reviews, et cetera. But it doesn't take long to figure out who is talking about a patient centric practice and who actually runs one. Thank you for that, David. Let's go back to technology. And Maria, I know she loves this area too.
0: In dentistry, we're getting a huge impact. You were talking a little bit about the digital workflow. For everybody out there listening to the concept of a digital workflow in dentistry, it's the opportunity to scan the mouth instead of taking those impressions, as you've seen in those funny TV shows and stuff goes all over the place and it gags you. We now use an intraoral scanner. It's like a video camera in your mouth to take all of these images that gets pieced together. We scan. Then on software, on the computer, we design. And then we can manufacture. You can manufacture anything from aligners to night guards to restorations. So as you think about new technology, what are you most excited about to bring To these dental practices that are already at a very good level and then trying to take them up to the next level in this collaboration and partnership of your company and these new dental practices. What's getting you excited these days?
2: There's so much to be excited about, but you also have to realize you can't implement too much technology at once and you have to meet the clinician where they're at today. You mentioned earlier the slow adoption of technology in dentistry. I think that's going to change for a few reasons. Intro oil scanners have been around for quite a while now. There's a long way to go with getting intra oil scanners. It's a great opportunity for more and more of that. And it's really going to be driven from two poles. It's going to come from industry key opinion leaders like yourself and industry leaders at Henry Shine and other places that are educating the market on these technologies. It's going to be driven by some DSOs that are realizing the efficiencies that they gain with these technologies. But most importantly, it's going to be driven at the patient level. Patients are getting more and more educated themselves, researching online. I can remember years ago when I was in medical, doctors were complaining about patients walking in with information they downloaded on WebMD and wanted to argue with them or debate them on the treatment. That's happening in dentistries now as well too. And what's happening is it's forcing dentists to embrace technology that patients are expecting. If someone's still doing impressions and their friend tells them, go over to my guy, and they didn't do that in my mouth, they use a camera. They're going to grow more. And I think dentistry is learning more of that. It's really coming from the market as well as the industry leaders like yourself.
1: Could we take that same question and apply it to, again, the practices that are within your partnership are high-performing, collaborative, integrating medical and dental services. How does that model and the technology could help us reach patients who are underserved who are living in areas that might be dental deserts, who frankly are living paycheck to paycheck and they show up to the dentist with a very acute issue. So for them, maybe that long-term view might be a luxury. So how do you think about your model of operating and technology enabling to reach some of those patients?
2: Great question. Well, as I'm sure you're aware, there's about 60 million Americans that are living in rural areas with very little lack of dentistry. And many of them, they're unaware that dentistry can be affordable. I think tele-dentistry is really going to create an opportunity for them to get more educated on the opportunities that are out there. There's gonna be more, I think, services, especially if they're preventive from the insurance providers. But I think it's an area that we need to focus more on because the corporate-driven dentistry has not focused as much on that area because there's not as much profit for them in there. But we're also seeing, after the pandemic, some of the rural areas growing a little bit more. People have less desire to live in a highly populated area. We just don't know. But no, you're absolutely right. Now, on our platform, it may not be at this point in our development that we're going to go into smaller markets, but we certainly recognize the need. And I think teledentistry is a great start. I think AI is a great start for using these algorithms to identify problems automatically, as opposed to having to go in to see it, that just it could be a connection with their health clinic or provider. So I think that's the way dentistry is going. It may not necessarily be where we go this year.
0: Maria, just to give a quick thought on that, we have a foundation, the Glow Good Foundation, as you know, and we go to the Bahamas in partnership with Lenny Kravitz, Let Love Rule, and we bring in down about 100 professionals. And what our goal is, is not to go to so many other places, but to bring dentists to see what we're doing and to educate them and to create a playbook where they can now go to their areas, their communities, and help them out. And we're in partnership with Henry Schein. And this is something that organized dental groups like Independence could get involved with. And a lot of it is the leadership training of these dentists, the dental professionals, which they're basically mini CEOs of their practices. But now they have a fantastic support team like David and his team as they come under this umbrella. So this could be a very nice positive reinforcing loop to bring access to care to people who don't have access to care in different communities. And it comes right back down to building awareness and educating people in the capabilities they need to be able to build this. And it could be an exciting future for that.
2: Yeah, I agree. And we all need to recognize how just incredibly fortunate and blessed that we are. And what you're doing and what many groups are out there doing is giving back to the community that is underserved. I think is fantastic. Kudos to you.
0: It really comes back, Maria, right? You've met some of my team. It comes back to your people because they get so inspired by doing it. When you come back to your practice, the culture of that practice, the excitement of what we do is amplified. That's right. Exactly
1: right. I guess what I want to make sure is that since, David, we started challenging assumptions and dispersing myths. I want to challenge the assumption that taking care of those communities who are underserved, who lack access, is not a good business. And it needs to happen on the side as giving back. And I do believe that technology could help us be able to deliver quality care at a lower cost in a model that is profitable and sustainable. That's really where I challenge everybody out there who is working on a new technology or disrupting the business of dentistry or care delivery. That's truly where you would be able to show if your product works for those communities, it would work anywhere because if you could solve that. So love everything that's going on in the Glow Good side. Love the model, David, you are proving on with independence. And I do think that in the next couple of years, we will see scaled models that work in those communities too.
0: One of the things we haven't talked about, and Maria, you make such a great point, David, please comment on this, that when your dentist partner with an organized approach, you are freeing up time for them. The time that it takes to manage a practice, Maria, average, is a day to a day and a half in every week by the dentist business owner. And if they partner up with an organized approach with business executives that are helping, help giving them their independence, but really supporting them in areas that do free them up, they now have time for these other things which could be in the direction of doing well and doing good. David, are you seeing that? That are the dentists coming back to you and saying to you, I now have this support team and I have this extra time and now I'm able to do something that I've always wanted
2: to do. Is this something that you might be hearing? 100%. Being a dentist can be a solo practice, can be a very lonely. Everything is on you. So us taking all of the back office off of their shoulders, all the accounting, bookkeeping, the payables, the benefits management, managing recruiting for associates and staff is the biggest headache right now for everyone. So them having a partner to take that pressure off of them, or you're in December and you're thinking about how you're going to meet payroll because of the way it's going with the schedule. Those are things that are not a stress anymore on a dentist. We take that off of them. And I think having more time makes them better dentists because they focus on above their staff. They can focus on now having a little bit more time to implement technology in their office. So we hear that from all of our parts.
0: Yeah, amazing. You know, it's so exciting to hear these new trends in the dental profession, where the profession is going, and the ability to embrace technology, not only with technology that we think about from a breakthrough, whether it's AI or the new digital revolution, but business model innovation, bringing new innovation to how we think about delivery of care and doing it more efficiently and effectively. That is a great vision. And Mm -hmm. uh, very exciting to hear all the things that you're doing over at Independence. What do you think, Maria? I think
1: that we've given our listeners a lot to think about and I would love, and again, thank you, David, for sharing your thoughts and congratulations on the success. We will be looking to you and be celebrating your growth and the milestones ahead of you. So very excited to continue to follow your success and we will absolutely continue to ask those questions that we raised here because... We need more success stories like you in dentistry and more conversations like this.
2: Thank you so much for uh, having me. And Jonathan, I'm going to ask for an autographed copy of your book when it comes out. That's
1: right. (laughs) I think that's Uh, it for anybody who wants to be on the show. If you get to be a guest on the show, I think you might get a thank you gift from Jonathan. And I don't know. I'm just planting ideas here. That's right.
0: Always a little bit of swag. It'd be my honor and my pleasure, David. Thank you so much for being on the show, Maria. Like always, great to be on with you.
1: Great to have that time together. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Think Oral podcast.
1: For the show notes and resources from today's podcast,
0: visit us at www.outcomesrocket.health.com slash think oral
1: or start a conversation with us on social media until then keep smiling and connecting care